This is Art Matters. I'm Farron Gibson. This series is produced by Art UK, the online home of the UK's public art collections. Virtually explore art and curate your own collections on artuk.org. You can also keep up with us on social media on the handle artuk.org, spelling out the word dot. Mind the gap. A light here for an exploration of poster designs for the world's first underground passenger railway. Posters for London Transport span over 100 years and represent artists employing a variety of different styles and techniques. At London Transport Museum, we hold around 30,000 posters in total, representing somewhere in the region of about 6,000 individual poster designs. That's Matt Brosnan, head curator at the London Transport Museum. Our collection also includes about 2,000 original artworks, and most of those are preparatory artworks for posters. So we've got a, a really sort of rich collection, particularly relating to the poster design on the London Underground, but also the wider poster design on, on London Transport as a company and some of its predecessor companies. Since the early 20th century, London Underground has been a design-conscious brand, and looking at their posters over the decades is an excellent way to observe how design trends have changed over time. The beginning of their focus on commercial art and graphics can be traced back to one man. It really kind of kicked off in around 1908 when a chap called Frank Pick, who was actually originally a trained lawyer and a a statistician working on uh, for a different railway company. He joined London Underground as it was at the time in 1906 and, and in 1908 he became responsible for publicity. And he kind of really, despite not not having a background in art and design, he really saw the opportunity to use pictorial posters as a, as a really important means of expanding the number of passengers. At the time, the company had just opened three additional sort of deep tube lines on the network. So it was keen to get passengers using those and, and sort of expanding public transport in London. And it was, yeah, Frank Pick identified posters as a real, really good way of both kind of advertising the system and also kind of having a sort of quite a lofty ambition of making sure that the network was decorated and supplemented with the best of art and design at the time. And his kind of remit also extended to the the commissioning of the Johnston typeface uh, that's still on the, the underground and, and the London Transport Network today, you know, really world famous typeface. And also like the roundel that you see on, on tube stations and the architecture as well of the stations and the network. So posters were a really sort of key part of that. In order to increase travel during off-peak hours, Pitt commissioned posters to promote the green areas around London that could be reached by tube and bus. The first poster he commissioned was a promotion for Golders Green Station, which had been added to the network the year before. It's a wholesome image of a woman and child sitting on a green lawn as a man waters a patch of flowers on the side. Towards the back, we can see people walking in a well-manicured park, and further in a distance, we see a train. Pick sought to create a consistent brand identity for the underground, but he also appreciated that people liked variety in designs, so he began to commission artists working in different styles. From the very early ones, which were largely done by commercial illustrators, some of which were actually employed directly by the printers that were responsible for printing the posters, but quickly in the sort of 1910s and 1920s that rapidly started to change and, and a lot of the major graphic artists and, and sort of fine artists sometimes of the period were were commissioned to do posters and it very, very much became a part of the company's reputation as being kind of a major commissioner of poster art and usually for you know artists both that were kind of established names and others that were sort of up and coming and new and, and untried a lot of women designers as well that were commissioned from quite an early point 
in the 20th century. And it really kind of shows that also the kind of influence of different art movements on posters. So, you know, some of the the really sort of innovative designers, especially in the sort of 20s and 30s and 1940s, were influenced by, you know, lots of different modernist movements, you know, from futurism to Bauhaus to all of those kind of influences were demonstrated in some of the posters that were produced on the underground. And it also kind of reflects changing fashions and and right through to the kind of 1970s, 1980s, when posters became much more sort of photographic, were often designed by advertising agencies rather than kind of individual artists and, and craftspeople. So that evolution has sort of been demonstrated by the different styles of posters that we hold in our collection and which are still very popular today. Rather than emphasizing the service and trains, artists developed posters that tempted travelers with interesting attractions and locations worth visiting. A lot of the posters, especially the early to middle part of the 20th century, had was basically promoting what London had to offer, you know, what what London had to offer for, for passengers in terms of making the most of the city through public transport to go out into into the West End of an evening to the theatre, to restaurants, to wherever you fancy, through to beautiful parks and historic landmarks and palaces and museums and art galleries, and also exploring the outer fringes of London and, and its surrounding countryside so a lot of the emphasis on the on the messaging and the design was on the destination rather than how you get there so quite a lot of the posters don't actually feature vehicles or buses or trains they don't really dwell that much upon the slightly prosaic nature of actually getting from a to b it's more about where you're going and the opportunities that the network offers you there's also an element of, especially in the kind of interwar years in the 1930s and 40s, around a time when uh, London was massively expanding. And obviously the tube network and, and the railway network was very much part of that. So quite a lot of the posters in that period relate to the kind of suburban expansion of London and this idea of commuting and being able to live in a kind of a, a further part of London with a bit more greenery around you and commute back into the city for your, for your day job and for your evening entertainment. In the 1920s, for example, with the Metropolitan Railway, which is part of the Tube Network, the Metropolitan Railway Company actually owned a lot of land, particularly in northwest London, and dubbed the term Metroland as a way of kind of promoting that suburban corner of London as a, as a good place to live, because it was also encouraging people to buy its land and buy its property that it was building in, in large numbers at the time in the 1920s. In 1926, the Metropolitan Railway even developed a 128-page book promoting Metroland, filled with illustrations, maps, and historical information about the area. A poster advertising the book includes an illustration by landscape artist and designer Michael Riley, who exhibited at the Royal Academy between 1934 and 1940, and has works in Leeds and Dudley Art Galleries. During the war years, the messaging of London transport posters changed, and they were sometimes used to promote the war effort and to even recruit armed forces. But sometimes they were also simultaneously promoting the tube network as well, particularly in the First World War. There's some early posters from sort of 1914, 1915 that actually kind of reference the First World War and and actually, you know, the the German army invading parts of Belgium and France, but also kind of saying, why worry about invading the country when you can invade it yourself that was that was kind of part of the messaging of one one particular post oh that wouldn't fly today would it <laughs> no it, it wasn't something that it's, it's basically just bizarre it's it's really yeah. really weird messaging yeah. but actually increasingly as the as the first world war went on and and also later in the second world war the message was much much sort of clearer and it was partly a practical thing during wartime there were pay, there were paper shortages as part of the kind of wider shortages of key materials so 
the posters couldn't be quite as expansive. They couldn't produce quite as many of them. The sizes of them were, were sometimes slightly reduced as well. And the messaging was, especially in the Second World War, was very much part of the wider war effort and the wider sense of what the, the British government was trying to do as well. So a lot of the underground posters from that period emphasised, you know, the strength of London, you know, imagery of the survival of St Paul's amid the bomb-damaged surroundings of the City of London, sometimes also using elements and illustrations of historic figures, Churchill sometimes as well, and very much emphasising the kind of heritage and the strength and history of, of Britain as a country in a time of national needs. The poster of St Paul's Cathedral was part of a series of six called The Proud City, produced in 1944. Each poster highlighted landmark buildings that had been affected by the war. In the foreground of the St. Paul's image, artist Walter Ernest Bradbury depicts piles of large stonework from a shelled building, while St. Paul's stands proudly intact in the distance. Bradbury was a trained artist and art teacher who designed posters for British Rail as well as London Underground. He also served as an official war artist during the First World War, and some of his watercolor paintings can be found in the Welcome Collection. Further to these images, which were intended to raise morale, it was also necessary to produce posters with practical messaging to help passengers move about during difficult times. Quite a lot of posters talked about blackout conditions during air raids and the kind of practical arrangements of that and carrying a torch and carrying sometimes white gloves to be able to sort of hail down a bus safely in, in blackout conditions, looking out for your destination out of the tiny little opening in the windows on a tube train because a lot of the, the vehicles were were blast protected, uh, had netting inside the windows to stop the light getting out and also kind of stopping the, the glass from shattering during an air raid. So there was a lot of kind of practical information as well during that period. Some of the most iconic posters in the London Transport Museum's collection are colourful and light-hearted images that encourage trips to the zoo and other attractions. They give the impression of a bustling city with everything to offer from the green spaces at Kew Gardens to the shows and shopping at the West End. There's a really famous 1970s poster by a designer called Abram Games that kind of depicts a striped tiger in kind of an, a, a succession of kind of flat colour blocks uh, advertising London Zoo, which is a, a really sort of popular design. And also some of the popular designs are kind of from that quintessential sort of Art Deco 1920s period. There's a poster by an artist called Horace Taylor called Brightest London, depicting lots of people in their finest clothes going down an escalator to hop on the tube to go into the West End. And, and they're all kind of wearing 1920s fashions and gentlemen in top hats and, and bow ties and, and women in very sort of intricate coats and kind of distinctive 1920s hats and stuff. So, and it, it's, it's all rendered in a very colourful sort of flat colour style. And it, it's posters like that that I think are kind of tend to be the most popular even today because they kind of very much evoke a time and, and a place and, a, and an era. Some of the cutting edge artists that worked with London Transport have paintings that can be found in museums and galleries around the UK. In 1915, arts and crafts movement artist Maxwell Armfield designed a stunning poster inspired by planets in the night sky. His paintings can be found in the collections of Tate, Russell Coates Art Gallery, Birmingham Museums, and others. Hans Schleger, who worked under the pseudonym Zero, designed mysterious, shadowy posters in keeping with his surrealist fine artwork. One painting called Journalists Use Shell can be found in the National Trust Collection on the Art UK site. In 1930, London Transport also worked with another famous surrealist. Another really sort of famous popular design is a, a 1938 poster by Man Ray, 
that's actually quite stark and quite different in the sense that it's completely monochrome and sort of depicts the underground round or kind of in a in a night sky with the planet Saturn kind of underneath with the message London Transport keeps London going. And that's a really popular one, again, partly because he's a really famous um, artist and it's quite a surrealist design, very much part of his sort of style as an artist. And it's also quite an interesting technique because it was a design based on a photogram. So it was a poster made using kind of photographic materials without actually using a camera. So it's kind of using actual real objects and exposing them to light and, and, and exposing a sensitive paper to light exposure uh, to create this this really interesting image. And it's also quite a, a, an interesting message because it's basically equating the London Transport Network and the Underground Network to being you know a kind of key fundamental feature of the solar system it's almost like this this system is so sort of at the heart of london as a city that it's up there with the sun or with a planet painter paul nash also worked with london transport to design posters in 1935 and 1936. he worked as a war artist in the first and second world wars and has a mixture of surreal and semi-abstract landscape paintings in public collections around the uk his muted color palette and textured washes of colors are instantly recognizable in his poster designs. He sort of established his reputation uh, during the First World War as a as one of a generation of soldier artists who, you know, served on the Western Front in France and Belgium and seen that kind of horrific experience and then translated that into really interesting, powerful artwork and been commissioned as an official war artist um, at that time. And then his his reputation sort of expanded in the 1920s and 30s. He designed yeah, several posters. He also designed one fabric maquette as well that was not actually used on the network, but he still produced one of those. Yeah, he, he was somebody that could actually adapt and, and use different skills for different sorts of artwork. So he, again, was somebody that he, some of his posters actually used uh, photography, um, interesting typography, as well as kind of painted and drawn elements as well. There were others of his generation as well that were primarily known as fine artists like Graham Sutherland as well, who who also did a few posters for London Transport. One artist who has straddled the line between fine and commercial art was American artist Edward McKnight Coffer, who is widely celebrated for his bold designs inspired by a mix of futurism, vorticism, and cubism. He was probably Frank Pick's greatest discovery as a, as a designer because he was an American-born designer who came over to the UK in the 1910s. And I think he actually was commissioned to do his first poster for the company because he got in touch with another artist called John Hassel, who was actually the chap who designed the very first pictorial poster that, that Frank Pitt commissioned in 1908. And Calfer was just sort of at the, in the early stages of his career, just starting to try and find his way as an artist and a designer. And, and heard from John Hassel that, that Frank Pitt was a, a, an interesting person to approach. And it led to a really sort of profitable relationship on, on both sides. He ended up designing over 100 posters for the company. And equally, London Transport was able to benefit from one of the best graphic designers of that, of that age. And he started designing posters in 1915, and he carried on right until the early 1940s when he actually went back to the USA. And over that period, that sort of 25-year period, his poster designs ranged from the quite decorative and beautiful sort of idyllic scenes of Kew Gardens and places like that with bright pastel colours through to really bold, modernist 1930s designs that kind of emphasised the technology and the, the electricity of the London Underground Network and using bold, striking typography in a kind of simple white, black, red and blue colour palette and strong pointing fingers and muscular arms and depictions of power stations and things like that. So 
his his style was really really varied and it was a way i suppose of showing almost like the influence of different art movements to a kind of a, a mass audience you know through through these posters that were kind of decorating the system across london and also his wife uh, marion dawn was a was a major textile designer and she did lots of textile designs for maquette fabric that was used on the seating on on tube trains and buses there are more talented artists and designers who worked with london transport than can be acknowledged in this one episode they were one of the largest commissioners of these kinds of work at the time and this is reflected in the variety of artists and styles in the poster collection there are other companies in in britain at the time you know shell and bp and the post office and companies of that kind that also commissioned artists and, and produce posters and stuff but i think london transport were really at the forefront of that in that especially in that kind of 1920s 30s 40s 50s period also just to mention there was a whole kind of a generation of kind of multi-talented artist designer illustrators like edward borden and barnett friedman and Enid Marks and people like that who kind of all went to art school, especially the Royal College, kind of at the same time and kind of came out of that in the kind of 20s and 30s as being artists that could kind of apply themselves to all kinds of different artwork, whether it be sort of posters or, uh, or Edward Borden also did little uh, small kind of adverts for the newspapers and things like that, that that London Transport commissioned and through to, you know, uh, Enid Marks, who, who also did posters, but also did maquette fabric design as well. So you get a, a lot of these kinds of artists that have, you know, contributed to the the look and feel of the graphic style of that era. And also there was a generation of emigre artists and designers as well that were basically fleeing Nazi Germany in the, the 1930s, who actually came over to Britain and many of whom were commissioned by London Transport to do posters, people like Hans Schlager and Hans Unger, who again were major graphic designers that had quite a big influence on design in this country and had their own distinctive style. I mean, Hans Unger, for example, did posters that were sometimes based on oil paintings, but also sometimes based on like 3D artworks that were made of mosaics and assemblages and things like that. He worked with a, another artist called Eberhard Schultzer, who specialised in ceramics and mosaics. So we actually have in our collection some of the original preparatory artworks for these posters that are very, very three-dimensional, you know, have have sort of mosaics as part of them and then were kind of photographed and reproduced to be printed as posters. So, yeah, it's a really sort of rich collection. After hearing about all of these artworks, I'm sure you're wondering how you can see them. The London Transport Museum has you covered. Now, our collection is partly on display at our museum in Covent Garden. So we always have a, a selection of posters as part of our permanent galleries. We also have a, a rotating poster parade space on the first floor in the museum, which we switch around about every quarter. So we get to kind of refresh and, and give visitors a, a sense of the depth of the poster collection, ranging right from kind of early 20th century through to quite contemporary poster design. And we also have, you know, the bulk of our actual collection is, is housed in our depot in Acton in West London. And people can actually go on guided tours of our poster and artwork stores. Many thanks to Matt Brosnan for telling the story behind these amazing posters. You can head over to the Art UK website to see images from today's discussion, and of course, visit the London Transport Museum to see them in person. As always, thank you for tuning in, and please join us again next time. <laughs>